started here this is the uh 2022 hopefully will soon to be an annual presentation for the good life housing partners and really we, what we wanted to do was it's been a it's been a challenging year uh there's been ups and downs and uh, i think as we go into 2023 you know there's a lot of concern over recession over when inflation will stop when interest rates are going to mellow out and and there's just overall a lot of stuff going on. And I think the main point of this call was to go over where we see the market today, what we're seeing out there, where our portfolio sits, and then go into some of the other notable events that, that are really transpired over the last six months as interest rates have been rocketing up. So with that, I think we'll go to the table of contents. And this is just a quick overview of what we'll be going over today. We're going to spend about five minutes, five to eight minutes on each of the first four, and then we'll open it up to Q&A. We already have a bunch of questions, but if you have any questions, feel free to just put those in the chat and we'll respond accordingly. Um, but for now, I'm gonna turn it over to David Fong with a quick market overview. Yeah, um, well, first, um, welcome everyone. Happy holidays. As Ron said, we're excited to do our first inaugural uh, Good Life uh, end of year uh, investor update and review. Uh, with everyone, so welcome. Um, just a couple of housekeeping notes too. If you do have questions, you can also um, submit them through the chat and um, one of our assistants here will, will let us know. Um, we're going to be going through um, a bunch of data points um, just as an overall, um, you know, we're, we're trying to keep this, you know, to 40 minutes overall as a presentation. Um, and so um, to the extent that, you know, you, we'll, we'll send people if they want a copy of this, this uh, presentation, we can send it to them afterwards. Um, but we're, you know, we're not going to go into, you know, we, for any one of these charts, we could probably spend 40 minutes itself on the chart. So um, it's more, again, just sort of an overview and our thoughts and, and how our portfolio is performing and also where we see kind of the market going. Um, so let's begin to set the stage. Obviously, um, you know, I think I like to describe it as this year has been sort of a tale of two cities. Uh, it's really um, the first half of this year has been tremendously different from the second half of this year. Um, the biggest um, evidence of that is we look at in this first slide is interest rates. As everyone's probably aware, the Fed has been raising interest rates this year. They've done it about seven times now um, in this year, um, four of them being consecutive increases of 75 basis points to the federal funds rate, which is now at its highest that it's been since um, December 2007. So this first chart, just to kind of show you the, again, the tale of two cities and the stark contrast, we began this year um, with um, this is a chart showing 30 year fixed rate mortgages. Um, you know, we, anyone who's in the home buying or looking to buy a home is just feel this pain if they didn't buy earlier. You know, interest rates were in the 3% range at the beginning of this year and now is comfortable around the six point something, 6.3% range and hit a 7% um, a few weeks ago. And so, um, and you know, the Fed has indicated they are going to probably continue to raise rates. And so, uh, residential mortgage rates like like this will continue to track that rate increase and will continue to go up. And so it's definitely um, had an input, impact on home buyers because your borrowing costs have gone up significantly. You have more to add, I think? No, this, I mean, this really tells the story of, of the year. We started at kind of one of the lowest rates of, you know, in history and, and we now are going up and we're going to continue going up. But I think if you look at where we are historically, we're still at a rate interest rate that 
know, compared to you know, the 80s or times when there was much higher interest rate environments were still fairly low. It just happened rather, you know, very quickly. And the key question from all this is, is that everyone's asking is, you know, with the Fed, you know, how long and, and how much more? And when? <laughs> yeah. when, when are you going to be doing this? Uh, next data point, just, you know, unemployment rate. Uh, national unemployment right now is approximately 3.7%. Um, you know, most people think that we're heading into, you know, just this comparison to national unemployment rate in April 2020, it's sort of the big pandemic, and we're kind of in the heart of the pandemic, is at 14.7%. And so uh, from an economic standpoint, the economy is still, you know, fairly strong. Um, unemployment is pr pretty low. Um, the Fed, most uh, economists and, and people predicting this think that they're trying to target somewhere, you know, around 5% unemployment rate over the next uh, year or so. Um, and, you know, obviously with higher unemployment, that means, you know, there will be some job losses and, and, and an economic contraction. Yeah. Next slide. Uh, this this one I'll cross, cross over quickly. This is the increase in uh, non-farm payroll jobs in November of 2022. Um, we've, we're still increasing jobs. It's, it's 263,000. It's a lot less. We were sort of in the 350s and 360,000 jobs earlier this year. So we're definitely cooling a bit in, 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 in the economy, but uh, probably not as, as cool as the Fed would like. Next slide. This is your good old CPI. And you can see that, you know, we CPI has really increased from November of last year to where we are today. Um, we've seen we actually started to see it cool in the last handful of months, but it's still nowhere near what I think the Fed and what the American consumer is accustomed to. And so that's creating a lot of this rate hike. Um, anything else? Yeah, the 7.1% is a year over year increase uh, in November, which is slightly better uh, than the 7.7% we had in October, uh, which which is uh, still a, a, a better from the 9.1, which was sort of a 50-year high we had in uh, in um, June. So prices, you know, are starting to reduce on a, on a personal level. I, I, I gauge things by how much I pay for gas in California. And I know <laughs> gas prices got up to six, seven bucks. And, and you know, now it's, 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 it's back down to, you know, five, five, five and some change. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely improved, at least from my wallet standpoint, but um, still got a little ways to go. And, and I think that's, you know, the Fed is going to continue to do that. So uh, we had a decent November um, inflation CPI report, but, you know, not a great report. So, so there's still some work to be done. Next slide. This is a, these are next few slides are going to be just kind of transactional volume in as a general real estate and then more specifically multifamily and industrial. And what you'll just notice is where transaction volume was, you know, the beginning of last year versus where it was this year. And you actually see that was you know, there was quite a bit of increase from 21 to 22 in the first quarter. But as you wind down all the way to the fourth quarter, you see that's where things have really shifted. Yeah, the, this chart in particular, why we decided to compare um, for, you know, on a quarter basis from last year versus the same quarter period this year is just to kind of highlight sort of the big differences um, uh, from a macro level. And, and again, this is real estate transaction about all assets. So this is uh, office, retail, uh, multifamily, industrial, and, and uh, hotels and apartments. And so um, we actually started out, when you look at it from a macro level, 
we're actually transaction volume, we're actually um, higher than last year. But part of mainly reason for that is that first half, we came out gangbusters and, and, and uh, we're doing much better than the prior quarter. And, uh, but then as you get there, if you look at the last bar there, the December comparison. So what we were doing in December last year is, is, is a pretty significant drop off. Um, next slide. And so similarly, now it just went a little more granular. This is going over the volume in multifamily. And then the next slide you'll see is, is, is industrial. Um, and this is something we've experienced too. Um, the number of deals that actually were closing, um, especially in apartments that we were buying and selling at two grand price, just just wasn't happening after the second after the uh, uh, second quarter. Uh, the first half, actually, we actually sold some assets too, and and uh, we, you know we thought we'd be buying a lot more, but um, with the increase in borrowing costs, it just didn't make a lot of deals feasible anymore. And in addition, a lot of the equity uh, players in the market, especially the big private equity real estate funds. They're just sort of, you know, given all this interest rate hiking and they're not certain when it's going to end, um, a lot of um, investors have just kind of brought on pause. That, that's just a quick overview of the real estate market on a macro level. Now we want to kind of <clears throat> focus on good life housing's portfolio. And so I think one of the things that has been a really good surprise, or I think it's somewhat expected, is for most of our housing, we have maintained fairly good occupancy. And you can see at the top, you know, between market rate, well, you know, well over 90 and almost 92% market rate, industrial 91. Um, these mostly Dallas assets, but have done extremely well. Uh, and I would say even some of the, the vacancy on those assets is because a number of those assets are going through renovation programs. And so, or in the case of an industrial, we've had a, one tenant that we had to let go of so that we're trying to, the larger vacancy that we're refilling. Uh, re so most of that is what I would consider to be sort of justifiable vacancy. And it's actually part of the business plan um, where we would get concerned here is if it's vacancy that is more market driven, that there's just a lack of lack of demand for this type of housing product, whether it be market rate or industrial. Yeah, and then just to add some context that on the, on the on the demand side from a macro level, I mean, we still, you know, people like to throw up the statistic. We're still about 4 million units short of, of, of housing to meet, to meet demand in the United States, it's particularly in markets um, like some of the ones we focus in when there's a lot of um, in, in migration and a lot of population growth. And so that population of tenants just continue to grow. You add to that the factors of, you know, housing prices being more expensive, uh, housing costs being more expensive because of the higher, you know, residential mortgages that we saw on that first slide. And it's just creating much more demand for, for uh, residential apartment housing. Uh, student housing is similar. Um, this has been ex still pretty strong. A lot of it because I think after the pandemic, I think a lot of people want to go back to school. Students definitely want to go back. Um, and, and I think as we head toward some sort of recession, I think, uh, you know, more, more and more people like to go back to school during those times. Um, putting it in context from a national level, the, just to throw out some numbers, the national vacancy rate right now for apartments is about 3.9%. Um, and it's expected to, uh, to to climb closer to its long-term average, which is really 5%. And so um, I think there's, you know, from an asset investment standpoint, I think apartments, <coughs> excuse me, are, are still, you're not going to see that much change in, in, in these metrics. Yeah, I think these metrics will hold. And then if you go to the next bullet point on, on income growth, a lot of that income growth for, for other 
operators or owners, they saw these numbers, especially on the market rate housing, jump even more significantly in 21. We had, we had some of that jump in 21, but we were really in the midst of a lot of our renovation programs. And so um, we actually are enjoying some of that. We're still getting some of those bumps on a majority of our renovations as you see the next bullet point. Um, because they, they're just being delivered now or being they were being delivered throughout this year. So we're seeing that, that we took that bump a little later on than some other providers that were already established. Yeah, and then on a national level, when you look at rent growth, um, it, for 2022, it's about 8.3%. Um, projections is maybe about 4 to 5% for next year. Um, you, you know, you compared it to the na national historical average, the rent growth is somewhere around 2.7 to 3%. So they're... Um, we're still fairly healthy in, the, in, yeah. in this market. And, uh, you know, we expect to continue to do so. Our industrial is a little different because uh, that's, you know, we're leasing up and, and that'll actually oh, release. Yeah, we're leasing. And then, and then we're, you know, one new project we bought recently, we bought it with vacancy. And so we're going to be filling those spaces this year. Uh, we've already signed a lease. And um, so the rent growth, obviously, there'll be uh, definitely income growth in that uh, from a portfolio standpoint. And I think one thing that we liked, that we believe is a, is a strong uh, factor for us is a majority of what we are budgeting for 2023 to get increases. We're obviously being conservative with those, but I think even if those were had to be taken off the table in the form of maybe additional concessions because the recession is a little harder than we believe or it's tougher to get through, I think we're braced to, to, to deal with that. And I think some of the some of the uh, work we've done over the last few years has, has gotten us ready for it. So, and then on the debt side, uh, a lot of people might be curious. You know, given where interest rates are rising and, and debt costs, from a portfolio standpoint, um, we're we're fairly uh, safe. Um, you know, uh, on you know, we either have fixed rate debt or floating rate debt. On our fixed rate debt, um, we're, we're we're locked in for a few more years, so there's no no uh, real concerns about the you know the Fed continuing to do what they're doing regardless of how long they do it, unless they do it for 10 more years. Um, and then on the floating rate side, all of our floating rate debt, uh, we've purchased interest rate caps, um, which, which basically, you know, pay us uh, when, when, when the index uh, hits a certain uh, interest rate. And it's interesting because years back when we bought these interest rate caps, we thought we would never hit these strike rates. And actually, we've all hit them now, <laughs> and, and as the rates have all risen with the Fed uh, increases, and so we are actually been receiving payments um, for those interest rate caps. And and um, you know, uh, we we sold an asset as we mentioned earlier this year, uh, one of our apartment assets, five hundred flats. And one of the interesting things about that when we sold it was we had an interest rate cap, and we actually uh, because we had that cap, we were actually able to sell that separately. Um, to the market because people desired uh, valuable interest rate hedges, and we were actually able to get an extra, you know, three, four hundred thousand uh, dollars for that cap, um, in, on top of what we were selling the asset for. So um, definitely an interesting time in terms of, you know, we're surprised where uh, the market has gone with the rates, but um, but we've been appropriately hedged for it. So before we move to the next slide, uh, this is a ton of information, but anything specific to you know either. The real estate market, more specifically on the GLHP portfolio, feel free to pop those in the chat box. If not, we'll move on to the next screen. But you know, I know we've just thrown a bunch of stuff at everyone here. All right, we'll move on. Okay. All right, 
so the next one, so kind of interesting. Um, positive news. Positive news to, to finish out uh, 2022 is it looks like we're going to have a sale on, on our last Woodhaven asset. So this is the Taylor Commons deal, which we purchased in 2018 or 1919. Um, started a rehab there, have done, you know, I've seen our NOI go up, you know, took on some, uh, this is our original financing, as you can see, that's part of the deal, but we're selling it what would be considerably lower, but I'll probably say this is 100 to 120 basis points lower than what we're seeing other similar deals transact for in the Dallas forward. So yeah. normally this deal probably trades around a five to maybe even a little five and a quarter, um, but we're obviously getting a, a substantially higher price because we have some very favorable financing. Um, yeah. It, uh the, the financing is a big factor. The buyer is a buyer who actually, one of the transactions we talked about that we sold early in the year uh, before, in the first half of the year, he was actually one of the buyers. So we're familiar with him as a buyer who actually raised a fair amount of equity um, to really make a big bet on this neighborhood where we own a bunch of apartment projects. This is a 224 unit project. Um, and because we actually have this favorable financing, it actually has worked out well for us. It's a fixed rate financing, um, seven year term. Um, originally, um, we were planning to sell this asset um, before everything happened with the Fed. Um, at some point, maybe, and we were exploring it because given where pricing was going um, in, in 2023. Uh, but one of the uh, disadvantages we had at the time was the debt um, prepayment penalty was something called defeasance. And it actually, you know, equated to basically uh, over a million dollars of, 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 of prepayment penalty. And surprisingly now, given the reverse, now that the interest rates have gone the other way, have gone up, instead of the defeasance winding us actually having to, to, to pay more, the, the, you know, if we were to sell it um, with no debt on it, uh, free and clear, the loan actually would reduce our outstanding principal balance by a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, and so that's, you know, given how attractive that financing is, because you can, you know, 3.5%, 5, 5, 7% fixed is, is a very unheard of low rate, rate these days now. Um, you know, it was, it was very accretive to it and, and, the, and the buyer thing, I would say wants to assume it. Um, again, our original business plan was to sell this asset in September of 2026, um, instead of closing this next, uh, in the first quarter. And, you know, from, from a, uh, a sales price standpoint, you know, we're selling it at a few hundred thousand dollars less than what we were hoping to sell it for in 2026, but we're selling it a lot earlier. And so we, we think it's an attractive uh, time to sell. And so we've, uh, you know, signed a contract and, and uh, hopefully we'll be closing in the first quarter. And that's yeah, so, just, so good news. We also had, I think, $400,000. Yeah. And we have a, yeah, the, the, the buyer's already gone down the fund with $400,000. So regardless if you Closed or not, there's something positive will come out of this. And, and we'll just add that, that that type of hard money, which used to be very common in the DFW market, and it's still out there, but does not happen with nearly the same frequency as what we had a six to nine months ago. That that is that hard money is now more like a hundred thousand dollars, maybe two hundred, if, 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 if any, if any, because you know, as Rohan mentioned, you know, prior to this, that it was a very competitive sales environment. Um, especially in the Dallas market, um, any deal you do in the apartment in the apartment space, you pretty much need to go non refundable as, as a buyer and take that risk. And um, you know, after the interest rates start raising, you know, a lot of deals fell out of contract because the numbers didn't work again because debt costs just skyrocketed. Um, and, and as a result, 
a lot of people start pulling their deposits and, and new deals after the first half of 2022. Um, pretty much, as Lauren said, you know, it's much smaller non-refundable deposits or even no non-refundable deposits even. So um, we're very fortunate to actually get this from this buyer. Yeah. <clears throat> By the way, one other example of cost skyrocketing, you know, we mentioned the interest rate cap that we have that, that protects our debt. So if you're now buying a, uh, go, buying a new asset and you're going out to borrow and you have to get an interest rate cap, those costs on those interest rate caps have significantly, uh, in some cases, tripled. Um, you know, what usually used to cost us like 100, 200,000 uh, to purchase an interest rate cap is now close to a million dollars because of all these interest rate increases. So it's definitely um, it impacted un underwriting significantly. Next slide. So this is one of our big initiatives for 2023, um, which you'll see actually on the right at the picture of the Las Vegas Echo Project, which was a, actually an Opportunity Zone deal that we did in 2019. And really uh, it was sort of unintentional. The, the Opportunity Zone we started the project in 2017. By the time we built it, the Opportunity Zone map got established and it ended up that our asset was actually in the Opportunity Zone. So we were able to become an early Opportunity Zone project. Um, but when we, through that process, we learned quite a bit about the program um, and it became real something we've actually transacted on once and done fairly well. This is, I think now we've now owned this almost five years. Um, and it's, it's been a really good project for us. And I think it's one of the things that during, when times were low interest rate, people were getting in and out of projects, you know, and not even five years, sometimes two or even three or even a year, you would hear these stories, that the idea of being in a project for 10 years, um, which used to be, you know, five to 10 years used to be a fairly, maybe not 10 years, but at least five would be fairly common, seven would be common. And, and there, you would see groups that would do 10. And I think, you know, we are now going back to an environment where you're going to see uh, more of this, more longer hold periods, that you're going to need more time to harvest projects that, you know, in a higher interest rate environment, you're going to have to do deals that are more focused on a, a longer term to get to a return you want. And, you know, coupled with you know, some really outstanding tax benefits, especially to those folks who are, you know, that have capital gains, this is a really, um, it's always been a very interesting program, but we've now taken a longer view on it and decided that we're going to launch a fund. This will be a small fund. It'll be $10 million. And really our focus will be opportunity zone projects and markets that we already have an established footprint. So Dallas, Fort Worth, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Oklahoma City. These are four of the markets we're, we're looking heavily at. And we're looking at projects that are either going to be pure ground up construction probably mostly multifamily or what's a pre-TCO project. So that's before a certificate of occupancy is uh, awarded to the project. So those are two of the easier strategies, less risky strategies for opportunity zone projects. And that, that'll be our focus um, in the coming year. Yeah, and, and just to clarify too, we, you know, when we approach these projects, the, the, you know, while there are significant tax benefits and I've kind of summarized some of them on this slide, um, that's not the only reason, you know, the deal has to always work on its own. First and foremost. First and foremost. Yeah. And so on the, the you know, development deals, obviously we, we look at it for, for development returns, but then when you add the additional tax benefits, especially for, you know, if you've got capital gains 
um, from anything. It doesn't have to just be real estate capital gains. It could be from stocks. It's a purchase of stocks or selling a business. Selling business, whatever. Business. Um, you get a you know, discount on capital gains. And more importantly, those capital gains, if they're invested and held in this opportunity zone and over the 10-year period uh, project, your um, any future capital gains you get, basically, um, there's no tax on. And so it's a huge tax advantage. In addition to... Well, let's other- just give a real quick example of that. So if you've got... $100,000 that you made selling Netflix stock. And you're saying, what do I do with this 100,000? If I, you know, even log through capital gains, that's 20%. If you're in a state that has state taxes, it could be where we sit in California is 13, or some of you lucky folks sit in Texas at zero, but you know, you, you might have substantial state taxes. We can't do anything about the state tax in the opportunity zone for the most part, it's, a, it's really state dependent. But on the federal tax, that 20% gets immediately deferred until 2026. A portion of it gets deferred. At this, it gets deferred until 2026, but then you have to pay it in 2026. Um, it, so you, you still have to pay it. And you have to pay it in 26. But, but the bigger thing is, let's just say that 100000 after 10 years suddenly becomes 200000 You've already paid your taxes, and that additional 100000 that was earned in the project is completely tax-free. And moreover, the, the big one also as part of that is on all these projects that we've done over the years, we always have substantial amounts of depreciation, especially seller depreciation, that we have to then recoup at the sale of the project. All of that is also tax-free. So you Correct. no longer have to. Correct, especially for new projects, new construction, you you would then do uh, a, a, what they call a cost segregation study to really maximize your, your accelerated depreciation. And you would get all those tax benefits. And then typically, as Roman mentioned, when you sell an asset, then you have to recapture that depreciation, but you don't have to recapture if you hold it for the 10 year period in, this, in, in, the, in the opportunity zone project. So that's another you know, huge uh, boost to your returns. In addition to the returns from the project, as I mentioned, that, that um, you know, needs to work always. Um, the TCO project, the one difference with that is, as opposed to you going through the whole construction phase, that is a type of project and we like it just from a risk standpoint. Um, you don't have construction risk. You're basically buying a project uh, close to the when construction is completed, and really then your exposure for that asset is 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 lease up on an apartment, and over a ten year horizon, we think that's you know that's a very minimal risk uh, if you've bought in the right location and the right property type. Um, so that's why we like uh, sort of new builds, and you and you get the, you know you get to own a brand new asset too. Uh, with, with very little construction risk. So uh, that's why we like the TCO type deals. So it's the roundup deals or the TCO deals. Yeah, I think, I think one final point too is, and I don't have data on this, but one of the things I think when this program first started, a lot of developers or, or guys like us, capital allocators, looked at it and it initially it was sort of challenging because it was in parts of cities where we normally weren't doing a lot of investing. So, you know, my, you know, there's a Dallas one where Oak Cliff is a big area of, of OZs or um, in Los Angeles, there's areas of the city that are OZs, but I'm, we're not typically looking at apartment or even any types of projects. It's just because we historically have it for a number of reasons. But I think now that the program is well established, it's been around for four or five years, those areas have probably gotten better in a lot of ways, but it, it's also become sort of more established that they, those areas, I think initially might've been thought of as areas that were more blighted or t- more difficult to invest in, or just you would, why would you put money in those types of areas? And now you can see that that's not the case. And so I, 
I want to show kind of the first project, and this really highlights this. So, Jason, next. So, this is our Ava Midtown. Uh, it's the first project. It's a 78 unit apartment project. It's in the uh, Midtown area of downtown Oklahoma City. It's a really fast growing area, a lot of multifamily home, uh, a, lot, a lot of multi and single family home construction. It's very urban. It's next to the largest hospital in the state of Oklahoma. Um, and it's it's an area that is really needs housing. And we're we're going to basically build housing that's smaller units. So we're going to call them micro units, but they're basically essentially studios or one bedrooms that are are meant for young or even well, I think we'll get a variety of renters, but for people that are really looking to live in that urban area next to a, you know, a lot of jobs, next to a large hospital. So we're gonna get a number of people. I think this project is, is really indicative of how, how the OZ, pro, um, OZ designation. designation really has come about where you're seeing this is in the, the center of Oklahoma City and it's an area that's all designated as opportunity zone. But initially it was hard to figure out where this program might make sense. And then I think a lot of it was we got into a, a environment where doing things for longer terms was not as appealing. Yeah. And now that that's changed, I think project like this one where we essentially gonna build for roughly 150,000 a unit. And even once we deliver, that should be worth at least 200 unit. Is a, it's a pretty, you know, that's a fairly, I think, safe investment. And even over a, a 10 year horizon, your returns will actually just get better, especially once you compound some of those tax benefits. Yeah, I think the main thing is we talked about earlier with the Opportunity Zone, it's it's helped encourage people to take a second look or a longer look at projects that are a little more long term, longer term. Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a you know normal kind of market, most people are just looking at deals. Let's go in, let's get out. And, yeah, you know, we got to stick that landing in the construction, which is a very risky uh, timing process with supply chains and all sorts of other factors, and so. Uh, it's hard to make those deals work now with the, with these tax benefits um, and the long term horizon. It makes these uh, invest opportunities very very attractive on a risk adjusted uh, basis. Your side, yeah. And so this is as part of the the um, the fund. These are some of the basic terms specifically for these this deal and this will probably more or less how the the fund arrangement will also be. So we're on the. We're going to give a little higher pre preferred return because the the hold period is going to be longer. Um, but we're trying to keep everything, as you know, to a tight fee structure. We're not charging an acquisition fee. Um, so this is, I think, a, one of the more simpler, simpler, simpler yeah, deal structures we've had. And what we're really excited about is we're going to hold these deals for a long amount of time, and we expect to not only build these projects but refinance them and hopefully get you know significant amount of equity back out and then get some real um, tax benefits along the way and eventually you know once they're once these projects are stabilized cash flow for a long time okay so these are a handful of questions that we got from uh when we first sent the email out so we got kind of, these are kind of five good questions that we, that we got uh I just want to start with these. And as you guys have more, feel free to pop those into the chat box, but we'll go ahead and just go through these and then we can, we'll answer more as they come. And, and this is, you know, we're about 35, 30, 35 minutes in here. Um, so this is, you know, right where we expect to be. And we, we, we're here to answer questions, you know, as long as necessary. So 
feel free to pop in anything you guys have, but this is where we want to start. Um, first, yeah, what, what are the market is doing? What's going to do next year? I think David and I both can give our opinions, so it's probably pretty much in the middle. But uh, yeah, I think the market is actually doing fairly good um, from an operational standpoint. That's what you like to see. You don't like to see uh, you know, where there's vacancy, where there's market conditions that you know, are either oversupplied or for whatever reason, low demand. So in, in those fundamentals are actually fairly good. We're just going through a, a, a interest rate rising environment that we've never seen. Um, and I think that's hard for anybody, whether it be a developer, capital allocator, whatever your, your job title may be, to, to really kind of focus in on. And so I think for the coming year, I expect to see some more interest rate increases and then somewhere, call it March, April, like the second quarter, I think you'll, you'll see some smaller increases. And then I think you'll eventually get to a point where you're not going to see decreases, but things will just flatten out. And that's why I think you'll see a lot of folks really start to gauge where they can uh, get back into the market. On yeah. any asset type yeah my my crystal ball is uh i think uh you know the market will be somewhat flat but i think uh you know big question recession no recession i think we'll have a mild recession of some sort i, I definitely think you know uh, companies will start you know shelving plans for expansion because the cost of capital is doing that already. Yeah, they're doing that already and, and and you know especially a lot of the tech companies layoffs will be coming um but i don't think it's going to be you know, sort of like an 08 type recession. Um, I do think it, interest rates will continue to increase, although I think they'll be less. I think, um, you know, I'm optimistic the next one could be 50 basis points or maybe even 25 basis points. Um, I do think they'll stop in 2023. And I think in some point in 2024, they'll start to go down, actually. I think they'll start to reduce rates. Right, that's fair. Um, so this is a good question. Uh, do interest rates rising effect property level operations or performance? And I, I think that the, largely the answer has been no. Um, I think it varies a little bit between housing, specifically market rate or student versus industrial. And I'll just give you quickly why. In market rate, most of our tenancy, whether they're students or they're people working, um, you know, whatever the job is, there's not a lot of the interest rate effect doesn't really affect how they pay their rent in general. Like they're still going to pay rent as long as they have the money to do so. Um, and so we've seen, you know, we haven't seen any spikes in, in uh, bad debt. We haven't seen a bunch of evictions. We haven't seen anything that would really cause our performance to go down. And as you saw by the numbers, we're fairly occupied. Our debt, bad debt collection is at a, you know, regular number. So for the most part, it has affected. On the industrial side, you know, some of our tenants do have equipment loans and things of that nature. But again, we haven't really seen any like spike of vacancy or bad debt. So for the most part, it's been unaffected. I think that's where we are right now. I think one thing that I mean David wanted to point out was, you know, when sort of you could get some significant um, debt tests, and then you have cash. Yeah, I mean, I mean, another thing for us, I think, is we talked about our our, our debt situation. It's pretty good. Uh, we're pretty good because with the hedges we have, or that we have fixed rate debt. But definitely, uh, if you're a property owner um, and you've got some floating rate debt, and if you don't have these hedges or if, you, you know your your costs definitely will go up, um, your underwriting probably will go up too because if you didn't underwrite, you know, because I know you you know a few years back everyone you know LIBOR as 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 a debt index you know was at half a point, and if you underwrote half a point or slight increases over the course of your investment hold, 
you know, that's not true now because, <laughs> because that, 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 you know, LIBOR is now at 4%. So, um, you know, you need to look a little more carefully at, at your cash flow, whether you'll get a little tight on cash flow. Um, going back to what you said from, from an operational standpoint, it, you know, while their individual consumer debt has gone up and maybe some renters will have a harder time to, to um, pay, pay rents, but again, the demand for apartments, especially in, in the uh, class that we're in, workforce market apartments uh, or something like student housing, which is, you know, we, we pick universities that have pretty large enrollments and, and close to campus, so we have other factors to mitigate against that. I don't think you'll have an impact uh, at all on operations. Um, on the industrial, it's a little different, as you mentioned, because that's all commercial tenants. And so it really depends on the, uh, the particular commercial tenant and his business and, and the impact of, you know, what a recession might, or a mild recession might have on his business. Um, you know, some tenants will be will be impacted, but at the same time overall, there's just the strong demand for, um, at least what we, when we look at smaller industrial multi-tenant space, we're, we're we're focusing on tenants, uh, these sort of medium-sized businesses where there's just a deep base of them, and they all need space because they're priced out of space on, on a lot, you know, by a lot of the bigger companies. So I don't think operational that'll, that'll affect us. Um, number Next three, question. significant property value changes in the past year and any impact on transaction velocity. So to the second part of the question, I think we had a slide on there that really shows the transaction velocity in 2022 was, was really impacted, especially the second half of this year. Um, we didn't touch upon as much on specific significant property value value changes, and, but I think they did happen. I think you did see, you know, cap rates that were in really in the threes as we were ending the last year, 2021, that are now well into the fours and getting to five. I'm speaking of DFW, but honestly on any major market, it is, it is in the five cap range and, and going upwards as interest rates go upwards. So um, the two are definitely correlated and you're seeing that people are less likely to pay very low caps unless it's a situation like Taylor Commons where you're you know, going into a very low debt deal, a low interest rate deal, like you just cap rates are going up and, and that's causing property values to go down. Yeah, I, I think I think the trend will continue. I think property values um, will, will continue to be flat or go down and, and, the, and transaction velocity should go down. You know, the only difference with that be is if you're, you know, someone's in trouble with their asset and now has to yeah. sell. That, that velocity might go up and we, you know, we're hoping that that does because as, as investors, we want to try to be able to pounce on those kind of opportunities. Um, so, so I do think, um, you know, that that might impact. But we haven't seen a lot. Of but yeah, we haven't seen a lot. And, you know, it's, it's funny in each recession I go through, it, there's always this expectation of like you know, all these fire sales. And at the end of the day, you know, there's good deals here and there. And there's a couple of fire sales, but there's never a sort of it's, it's, it's never back to the old RTC days. But as you're older, if you remember that, um, that just, just doesn't happen anymore. I think the market is too efficient. Um, you know, the market's too efficient and there's just too much information. And so to get like that level of distress, um, maybe it'll happen in some black swan event. But the reality is it's just too, it, the market is too fluid and there's too much information. And so it's very hard to un uncover those for the most part. Uh, question four, has evictions increased? I think largely in the states we're in, they, are about the same. There's some eviction moratoriums were lifted at the last year. Um, unfortunately, some of those are still being worked through. 
uh, where we're based out of, the eviction moratorium is not going to be lifted till February of 2024. That's Los Angeles, so California, or 2023. So we've still got another few months here, but you're starting to see evictions pick up here. Um, I think overall, we haven't seen anything increase in our in our GLHP portfolio. I've heard anecdotally because of some of these states that are that kept eviction moratoriums in place that they're starting to see a real pickup, but nothing that is more than just headline news. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, California, LA County, I think actually it's, there's some talk about extending those eviction moratoriums too, but mm. I don't think, I think maybe slightly, it's a little tricky question. I think there might be some increasing because especially a lot of states, you know, there were restrictions and now you can actually evict people. And so there will be some slight increases because of that, given the other factors too about the economy um, and, and people being laid off. But I don't think overall it's, you know, there's kind of a huge spike just because of, you know, where we're going with interest rates um, in the economy. So I, I think that, you know, there'll be slightly more. But I think that's also partially due to because things were held back because of all these moratoriums in a lot of states. Question five, where do you think uh, interest rates will settle? I think we're going to get a couple more uh, 50 basis points. You probably get at least two more and then maybe a few more smaller interest rate hikes. And unless there's a, some sort of very dramatic economic event, I think it starts to taper out by April and May and you're kind of at that 8% area. Yeah, I don't. I think the day of the 75 basis point rate increase won't happen. Um, I do think probably, you know, 50 or 25, I'm hopeful. Um, I think the one thing Powell doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to be make the mistake that Volcker did where he stopped increasing too early and then had to come back and then re-increase even more. And so that just caused a lot of havoc. Uh, the one thing I have to say about the Fed is they've been very good at sort of telegraphing to the market what, what they were thinking, what they planned to do before each meeting. So um, hopefully that'll continue. All right, uh, we're gonna switch to OZ questions. Um, if there are any, any other questions for general, feel free to pop those in obviously OZ as well, or anything for that matter. Um, so I think, you know, kind of went through this a little bit on general approach to OZ investing. We, we Before we really make light of whether it's an opportunity zone deal or not, the deal has to work. It has to be a good deal that fits the criteria for what GLHP looks to do on any real estate deal. So in general, we want deals that are gonna be, you know, a, a reasonable IRR, you know, in interest rate adjusted now, but you know, I think what used to be a 16 to 19, now it's probably closer to like 13 to 16 IRR. And since we're going on a longer horizon, which is 10 years, if it's an OZ project specifically, that IRR can drop a little bit more, but it has to make sense from an IRR and, and kind of equity multiples perspective. Yeah, it, it, you know, the tax benefits are the, I mean, it's just, it, it's sort of the, the icing on the cake. Yeah. Right. So, um, so this is a good question. And I think this is true. I sort of touched on this earlier. Most of these areas seem to be rougher neighborhoods. Is that true? And if so, how does that affect your fund investment strategy? And I, I think the, the idea behind opportunity zones in general was to go to areas that were more blighted or more challenged. And, and specifically, one of the ways that the Fed looked at it and states looked at it was where they're building permits and more importantly, where they're not building permits. And so the, you know, California is, is, was really did this is they said, hey, we don't have building permits in these areas. How can we encourage development? Let's make it OZ. And you're 
starting to see that. Like I know in Los Angeles, there's a couple areas which are OZ areas that you're seeing more accelerated development, I would say. It's for a state that's still hard to get entitlements, get permits, you're, you're starting to see in those areas or have been seen last year, couple of years where people are building projects. Now, not all those projects, and this is sort of a, a, a good opportunity, are going to the OZ because I think a lot of times, especially in Los Angeles, people are just developers and they're just going to where they can build projects that they think will make sense. They're not concerning themselves with the tax strategy or anything like that. So we've seen a number of those and we've gotten close on a number of those. And I think as we get this, as we get the fund rolled out, that that'll be one of the areas we really will focus on. Yeah, I think the key thing when we look at it again, it has to make sense. So when we look at the area, um, it has to be an area of path development, an area where we see the potential. Um, you know, Vegas was because, you know, it's across the street from the university, so that obviously made sense to us. Um, one one thing that's interesting about the OZ fund is that, uh, excuse me, the OZ, you know, program itself is that the states got to determine uh, where these zones were. And it's interesting because the states didn't always, especially red states, didn't always pick the sort of the most economically disadvantaged or blighted areas. They they picked sort of areas that were kind of a step or two above that um, in, in terms of development progress. And, and that's made it easier for developers and other people like ourselves to then, you know, to, you know, see, you know, see that as opposed to being the pioneer. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, very few people want to be the pioneer <laughs> oftentimes. Uh, question three, can I be an OZ fund for the four year tax deferral, not stay in for the full two year hold period? You can. It's not like so we, technically yes. Yes, yes. It's not like we restrict you. Um, you're allowed to sell your your interest. I, th I think we have a right of first refusal to buy it. But 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 you're always allowed to sell your interest and, and pay your taxes. Uh, however, you don't really get the ma maximum benefit of the ten year hold period, uh, which is pretty significant from a tax standpoint. So if you're going to already be in there for four years, you probably need to should stay in for the six years unless you for whatever personal reason, really need to get your money out. But from a tax efficiency standpoint, uh, it doesn't make sense not to stay in for the 10-year hold period. Uh, so we're, we're right at the 50-minute mark. Uh, any more questions? Anything you can ask? Are there any questions on the chat? Just checking real quick to see if we get any questions. I got one. I just got one. Um, looks like somebody just asked, what's, what's the minimum uh, investment into the QOZ fund? And so we're looking at, we're actually going to do it a little differently because of the longer hold period. So we're going to set the minimum at 50,000. Because we expect these to be tenure hold deals. So it's going to be a longer horizon. But as I said, we have a more similar uh, return strategy starting with the 10 craft that will accrue um, on your investment. Any other questions? Anything else we can answer? All right, folks, we'll, we'll, we'll put out a recording of this. Uh, we'll send it out to everybody. Thank you again for joining. It's been, a, um, it's been a choppy year, but I think we've gotten quite a bit done, uh, not only on the sales side, but 
couple of acquisitions as well. And looking forward to closing out one more acquisition at sale before the year end here. And, um, but thank you guys, everyone for the support and joining and happy holidays. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you. And again, if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to always email us, um, you know, we're available. And I